0: Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Hello, listeners. What I've had on my mind the last few days has been friendship. I'm considering it in a number of ways. One way to consider friendship is the way that C.S. Lewis presented it in his book, The Four Loves. He makes the distinction that friendship, first of all, he calls it a spiritual love, which is an interesting point, but the point that I wanted to bring up is that he points out that friendship is the one sort of love out of the four Greek words for love. Those are filio, eros, storge, and agape. Philia is the one sort of love that you can go through your entire life without really experiencing. And he pointed out, as I'm about to, that many people will call friendship that which is merely acquaintanceship or camaraderie, similarities, but it's not really friendship. And his argument is that Storge, the love of familiarity, can, of course, be stored up just by being around a person. And in the modern day, I think that that is what a lot of people call friendship. Particularly when we are children. And I don't blame children for doing this, but we usually mean by friendship simply the person who I happen to have a lot of fun with. The person that I spend a lot of time around. That sounds a whole lot more like storge, the love of mere affection and familiarity than it does Filio. And Eros, of course, we at least have benefited from it, and all of us, because it is a fairly natural thing to feel, Eros, coming from the same root word, erotic, the love of sexual love, is another one that we will certainly pass through love, either being around or experiencing, and most likely both. Agape is a term that has been taken mostly by Christians to mean charitable or selfless love, or the love that God himself gives to man and to man to wield. What's in them, that is. And you could argue that if that is accurate, then every human being has at least benefited from agape. Filio... I find increasingly to be a very difficult love and that is for good reason it is also interesting that phileo the word comes from the root or comes with the root phil which means love phil love of course coming from the greek and one of the difficulties about friendship is the very fact that we largely choose our friends. And the reason why I say that that makes it difficult is that we have a whole lot of reasons other than mutual love and respect to choose a human being. It is also often said that our spouses should also be our friends. Not very many people talk about, in fact, some people talk against your children being your friends. Though I think both should be the case. Or to put that a little bit more fully, when it comes to friendship with one's own children or just children in general, if we are the parents of our own children, eventually those children are going to grow up and hopefully come to the point where they can choose for themselves who they want to be around. Shouldn't you, as their parent, want to raise your child, to have a relationship with your child of such a quality that having the full capacity to choose as they will, they do continue to choose to be around you. Flaws aside, that is one of the things that I do in fact have with my own parents. I wouldn't call them my closest or best friends, but they have become my friends, and that is a fine fine achievement in my mind. So the difficulty with us choosing our friends... We think, for example, very often that our friends are the people of higher quality in our lives. We choose them because they are better. That's what we think. At the end of the day, however, we again might be using the childish definition of friendship deep down, though we won't say it aloud, but it's just the kind of people that we happen to like spending time around and have fun with. We have Interests in common. Or if we're trying to. Really mean that our friends are the people of. Great virtue of high morality who are quality human beings. We may actually mean that and I do think that that is much closer to the correct definition of what a friend really is or should be. But in the end. What we're really doing is we are associating their behavior with what we grew up essentially believing is good and normal and agreeable. But that depends. How did we grow up? Very few of us, in fact, I would argue none of us, grew up with ideal moral standards being actually lived out. Those of us who grew up in Christian households may have had the right virtues espoused, but actually lived. And this is where things get really tricky, because if they were espoused but not actually lived, actions do speak louder than words, and in this sense, if you grew up with that sort of hypocrisy, you usually don't notice the hypocrisy, you simply define the good as whatever it is that was lived. And Christians will bend the scriptures to try to fit around whatever they are used to. So if they grew up around a family that talked all the live long day about the love of God, but dad was always gone at work because mom whined a lot, and I'm not saying it's that simple, but a lot of times men will become workaholics, not because they're workaholics by nature, but because mom or his wife, is very difficult to be around. And if you grow up in that sort of a circumstance and have not dealt with the issues in your family, and called a spade a spade, called evil evil, called things by their proper names, then what you're going to do is you're going to focus on those scriptures that talk about a high work ethic. If you do not work, you shall not eat, for example. And you're going to make that the quality that your dad, quote, lived by. And then you're going to perhaps take scriptures that talk about raising your concerns to the Lord or judging people by their fruits or something like that and use that as the standard by which your mom lived and call it good. Now, Again, it's not necessarily that simple. You might exemplify your father, but trash your mother, or something like that. What I'm trying to get to here is that we have a tendency to believe that whatever we are comfortable with is what is of high quality. And of course, the real reason for that is because we don't want to address the problems with our own past. So it's much more comfortable, it's much easier to call whatever it is that we're used to as the good we try to call that the good so then when we select our friends even if we say that those are the highest quality people what we are really meaning is that is the is that they are the people we are most comfortable with they live like we are used to they live like we they live right within our comfort zone So I've been skimming around it a little bit here and there, but what really do I mean by a friend? At the basic definition, I've mentioned it in previous podcasts, is two friendships are two people at least, mutually exchanging things of value with one another. And you can bring in the selflessness of that, you could talk about agape and so on. And by the way, as I'm talking about this, I'm not trying to put friendship on a higher level than the other loves. All the loves are what they are. Eros is a very wonderful thing. Storge is lovely because we grow affection for those we are familiar with. And agape, which I believe is a very real thing, could certainly be called the highest of loves, but it is also easily misused. In fact, it is often because of a misuse of agape, pathological altruism, through which we allow people into our lives who have no business being a part of our lives. We allow ourselves to be used and abused beyond what we should. Agape in the sense of giving it to people who are greatly in need, but who do not have the character or qualities to be close to us as individuals, is very difficult to use right. We get so close to the people who are very needy, but not of high quality, trying to be charitable towards them, trying to be generous towards them, that we then want to unite with them as two individuals like friends. But with more careful reading of the scripture and more careful study of wisdom, we can see that this is not what we should be doing at all. We should have people in our lives, close to us, who lift us up, who raise us to a higher standard, and we help raise them to a higher standard. Again, exchanging things of value with one another. It is a wonderful thing to be charitable and benevolent towards people who genuinely need help, but if they are not people of high character, what on earth are we doing letting them be part of our personal and private lives? Just in the same way as it is just fine to an extent to do business with people who do not have a great deal of character maybe they are simply the person who's checking you out in the aisle at the store perhaps you are doing some sort of other business with them and it may be more or less necessary even if it is begrudging on both ends you don't have to you don't have to make that person your friend we should be loving all people i believe this as a christian Yes, but we don't just call anyone our friends. Even Jesus made that distinction. And this, by the way, is one possible argument that raises friendship to a much higher level, that Jesus, towards the end of his entire ministry, right not long before he was going to go to the cross, changed the narrative calling his apostles and his disciples no longer just his servants, but he specifically pointed out that he was going to call them his friends. In my opinion, he was calling them by a name, by a title, that made them far more intimate and close. He wasn't pointing out selfless, agape, benevolent, altruistic love. He was pointing out the love of filio, the love of friendship, respect, and love between two people, who are exchanging things of value with one another, at least the way that I define it. Now, talking about what is an ideal friend, I've already been kind of skimming, skimming around that just now also. What is an ideal friend? I had a conversation a few years back with one of my good friends about what is a best friend. And this is when I first got the idea of how we distinguish friends as children. We typically just mean somebody we enjoy being around and spend a lot of time with. So, who is a best friend as an adult? We become adults. We don't have time to just spend all this time with our friends, as we used to. So that definition, even though we usually don't say it out loud when we're children, can no longer hold water. Just by the practical fact of being adults. So, what can we mean by a best friend? In my opinion, and I came up with it at that time, it is the person who we deem to be both connected with us and of the highest character. Somebody we really look up to. And, of course, if we are genuinely their friend, then they look up to us for various reasons as well, and hopefully we have a matching character. In fact, if they are somebody of a high character and who understands what it really means to be a friend, and you are not comparatively of great character with them, then they wouldn't really be a friend, at least not a very close one. So as I'm going further into this, I think it should be starting to come clearer and clearer why I started out talking about the fact that friendship is very difficult. In order to really achieve friendship, we need to have mutual quality of character. It means that you have to be growing up yourself, becoming more wise, more mature, having greater character, and so does the other person. Yes, we should be selflessly doing good towards our friends, but we should also have mutual love and respect for the qualities of virtue in the other person because we are ourselves virtuous and recognize that. We then have both giving and reactive love. The barriers to going there are many. They are legion to getting to that point and having friendship at the deepest possible level. For example, we could be spending time with our, quote, friends. Maybe one of them is clearly of a in a very different mood than normal right now. Nobody asks him or her what's up. Why does this happen? Well, the real reason why it happens is not because we are curious, but for some other reason avoidant, it's because we already know the answer to our question if we ask what's up. Now, I don't mean we know the answer in detail. I mean that we see the discomfort in our friend. And what we are really avoiding is not the answer. We already know the answer. We already know this friend is in a bad way, in a poor mood, uncomfortable, whatever it might be. We know that We can see that plainly on their face. If we have been spending time around this person, this quote friend, for a good long while, we know when they are not their normal selves. We are avoiding asking the question because we don't want to deal with the discomfort. Maybe the problem is you. That's typically a false concern. But maybe you are part of the problem that is making them uncomfortable. And you don't want to ask the question and find out that answer. Maybe their problem is something totally outside the group of friends, but you still don't want to deal with the discomfort. You want to be around your friends, have a good time, play games, but you don't want to deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with. You don't want to bear their burdens with them. Christians should take note. That is part of the epistles. Bear one another's burdens. I believe it's in Galatians or Ephesians. So the reason why... We don't want to deal with another person's troubles is within ourselves. Now, it may be that, yes, we've dealt with a lot of crap ourselves and essentially bringing it out of them would bring along some PTSD. But that also just means that we have not dealt with our own crap. And that has disabled us from asking them the important questions, the questions that really matter in the moments. When somebody's having a poor day? Or how about the deeper levels of friendship that involve accountability? Asking the other person, what is it? If any is there anything that I'm doing as a friend that offends you, that is troublesome, that you would like to improve? We should be able to do that, we should be able to trust the other person with that kind of a question, but there's a number of problems that come up then. One I've already just mentioned. Our own lack of ability to deal with the discomfort. But how about the other? Trust. To ask a friend how we are doing as their friend exposes not just our own insecurities, but our lack of trust, if we do in fact lack trust, in the other person to give us a good answer, to not just be thinking about themselves in their answer, to not just bash at us, Use it as an opportunity to abuse us? So you see the point that I'm making here. We need to be growing up. They need to be growing up. In order for us to dig deeper and deeper into friendship. We need to be vulnerable with each other mutually. In order to achieve friendship. That's a pretty darn tall order. And by the way, it's also a massive search. If you really want to become deeper and deeper friends with your, quote, friends, you're going to lose some. Why? Because they're not willing to go there. So you continue searching. So you continue seeking out more people who are willing to really do friendship. Really have love with one another. In modern day, we consider things like love and friendship to be not just shallow, but degraded. We've twisted it to mean such base things. That we essentially believe that all we're really looking for in any of this, in relationship, in love, in whatever, is pleasure-seeking. Pleasure-seeking or towing a certain political or societal line. We're trying to look like something rather than give something or receive anything, other than pleasure, hedonism. The barriers between us and genuine friendship, again, are legion. It is not possible for us to be truly vulnerable until we've dealt with our own pasts. It's not possible for us to succeed in being vulnerable, being open, being strong. Vulnerability is strength. Until we have found people with whom that can be trusted with. as a bit redundant. With whom we can trust that. Or entrust it. Entrust ourselves. So we settle, many of us, With just recreational companionship, mutual interests, comfort, a lack of challenge, which really just means a lack of improvement. In fact, we might settle with a different kind of challenge, which is merely the result of immaturity. Somebody who's willing to call us names, probably like our parents did somebody who's willing to cheat us, probably like business associates have. We've naturalized, many of us, very poor behavior, and therefore are perfectly fine with it in our friends. Maybe it started with our, quote, friends, and now we're willing to tolerate it in other areas of our lives. What we're really avoiding is opening ourselves up to truth. What we're really avoiding is opening ourselves up to wisdom. If we want to have deep friendships, the call on that, or what I would call true friendships, the call on that, to get to that point, involves learning to be comfortable with facts, learning to incorporate truth, Because in order to get to deeper levels with one another, with other human beings, those things are going to have to be exposed at some point. We're going to have to talk about them. We're going to have to be challenging to one another in the constructive sense. Constructive criticism. Constructive truth. And continue to care about uh, about each other in the midst of that. I've talked in previous podcasts about the fact that we do not improve based on force, based on insult, based on, oh, you're not doing this, oh, you're not achieving this, you need to, you must. We improve when other people, yes, may critique us, but because they genuinely want our good when we are loved. knowing and acting upon the good to the best of our ability. The openness it takes to achieve true friendship can take a lifetime. The vulnerability it takes to achieve friendship with another person may be a search of years and years and years. To find one person who's really willing to do that. And I don't want to end on such a negative note as that. Because one thing that I have tasted a little bit, and the reason why I'm willing to preach on it right now, so to speak, I have found some friendship. And yeah, I speak from experience. It took a long time. It took a lot of sifting. It took sifting through some people that I thought were my friends. And we spoke, I remember, at times against other people in that same circle. But it has become, in the course of time, those people we used to criticize who have become my friends... And that friend who criticized them is no longer my friend. Now, of course, looking back on it, I can see the difference in character right on the face of it. And I think I participated a little bit in that criticism, but to my knowledge, I tried to rebuff it. But none of us is perfect. I'm sure I did from time to time. But I'm glad that I don't anymore. It was the people I did not expect to be my friends who ended up being my friends. And the ones I was closest to closer to at the time went their way. And sometimes it wasn't pretty. But having gone through all of that time and sifting and difficulty and some heartache. Having come to real friendship or at least the most real friendship I've been able to experience so far in my life. One thing that I can certainly tell you is that it's very good and it is well worth sacrifices along the way. Sacrifices of my own insecurities, sacrifices of my own pain in self-discovery and discovery in other people. All of it. The joy, the support... And yes, sometimes straight up resources, gifts, help, listening, the mutual giving of digging deeper and deeper and deeper with people. I can tell you this, if I didn't have it in my life, I know very deeply within myself I would have made decisions that would have cost me literally for the rest of my life. Cost me things that are far more valuable than the pain I experienced in self-discovery of things that I definitely did not like about myself. Or the pain of losing some people because I started seeing their lack of character. I'm not saying that I have the most perfect character of anybody. I'm just saying there were things that were exposed in others. And I had to let them go their way. The things that I would have sacrificed in not digging deeper and deeper and finding myself with genuine friendship. They're difficult to imagine. See, one of the things that costs us when we choose to keep people of low character in our lives is that they make darn certain we don't grow. They have to. Think about it. If you keep those people in your life and then continue, and then grow and mature and gain character, It insults them to the depths. They hit the roof. If you improve, it shows them that they can improve, but they're not going to do it if they've chosen not to. Maybe you've insulted or degraded certain lifestyles with them in the past because, oh, it's so hoity-toity. It's so high and mighty. It's so elitist. And then you begin to achieve it, and you begin to see that you were wrong. Well, what about that friend you used to insult it with? If they have not chosen to grow in that way, they really only have two decisions. Either just walk away right then, or insult you for it. Call you the elitist. Call you the hoity-toity. Call you arrogant. Arrogant. You sacrifice, or sorry, we sacrifice all of that potential, just as one example. If we do not choose to seek real friendship. So yes, it does cost. But the benefits, not just in the support and love that we gain. But in the negatives of life that we avoid, is indescribably worth it. So, that's all I had for today. I hope you found it interesting. Talk to you guys next time.